This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time for the hard-hitting analysis you won't find anywhere else. Here's former Super Bowl winning scout Brian Broaddus and Bobby Belt. 10, 5, victory! Welcome to the Love of the Star podcast. I'm Bobby Belt, Dallas Cowboys insider for 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. That is your radio flagship home of the Dallas Cowboys. Joined, as always, by Brian Broaddus, former Super Bowl winning NFL scout. He is now co-host of the GVAG Nation, 2 to 7 p.m. Central, Monday through Friday on 105.3 The Fan. He is also the pre- and post-game co-host on the Dallas Cowboys radio network. And during the preseason, he's even a part-time color analyst on the Dallas Cowboys radio network. Brian, how you doing today, man? Doing well, Robert. Thank you very much. Uh, back at the uh, the grind, as they say, uh, with, you know, an uh, uh, interesting game this week with uh, Indianapolis. Yeah, and we'll have a lot to talk about about this Colts team. Uh, I, I Look, I got to be honest. I think that when you go through these next three games leading up to Philadelphia, I, I, I know, you know, NFL teams are proud and they're not just going to lay over for you. Uh, but with Indianapolis, Houston, and Jacksonville coming up, if you still want a chance to win this division, you need to sweep heading into Philly, I think, on Christmas Eve. Um, so this is going to be a big stretch for the Cowboys. We're going to get into all that uh, a little bit later this week. What we're going to do today is uh, we're going to lead off with some of Brian's thoughts uh, based off the film now that he's had a chance to go back and watch some of that uh, from the Giants game on Thanksgiving. Uh, and then we'll have an extended mailbag for you guys. we got a lot of questions this week, a lot to go over uh, and it's kind of a long layover uh, between games. So uh, we want to knock out some of your most pressing questions uh, facing the Cowboys right now. But before we do that, uh, let's go ahead and jump in on the film review, Brian. Uh, the first thing I'm curious about is I felt like coming out of this game, this was the the best case we've seen yet. And I don't mean to take it negative right out of the bat, but I felt like it was the best case we've seen yet for the argument of go ahead and put Tyler, uh, Tyron Smith back in the lineup. It was a tough, tough game for Tyler Smith at left tackle. Um, you know, just had a lot of challenges. Uh, what did you see on tape? Do you think it was anything to do with the just the short layoff and, and not having any experience with that? Um, just your thoughts on Tyler Smith's play and, and what might explain away some of that. Yeah, people were asking me, Bob, about the rookie wall and is has Tyler Smith hit the rookie wall? I don't think so. I I do buy into what you're talking about with the short week because when you watch him playing on tape, there were several times in this game where he was having to pick up a stunt, having to pick up a blitz, and you saw some late reaction to it. And you know, maybe uh, you know, with the lack of practice that they had this week, the lack of really having the game plan. We talked about Dak Prescott and you know maybe having to put them in some different protections, some different plays. This was clearly one of Tyler Smith's not as better games. And I think the the short week had something to do with that. I'll say this, though. I feel like, though, in talking to giant uh, scouts uh, before the game, 
you know, they were saying that, hey, really, you know, Thibodeau has been okay and not really much more. Uh, that was by far Thibodeau's best games of the one I had seen uh, studying getting ready for this. Uh, I thought he played with power. I thought he played with some quickness. I thought he put Tyler Smith in some bad spots. So, yeah, it, this was one of those where Tyler Smith's going to look back and say, okay, the next time I do this, uh, this is how I think I need to prepare differently in order to get ready for it. Now, when you go back and, and you watch the tape of this one, I know one of the things, one of our initial thoughts, uh, you know, seeing the game live there in person at uh, AT&T Stadium, I know we both talked a lot about how we thought Leighton Vander Esch had a pretty good game. Is that something that stood up when you got a chance to watch the tape? Absolutely. Yeah, this was one of Leighton Vander Esch's better games. And, you know, the consistency that he played throughout this game, the run, I thought he did a really nice job of avoiding blocks, getting down the hill. Uh, you know, Saquon Barkley is not an easy back to deal with. Uh, he covered well. There was some screen tackles that he made in coverage. There was a play where they tried to throw the ball down the middle of the field in a two-deep look, and he went for a deep, like the old-school Tampa 2, where you run the mic backer to the middle of the field and try and defend, and they had a crosser behind that. And Leighton was in perfect spot. Daniel Jones couldn't throw the football there, had to throw it away. So I thought overall just a really complete game for Leighton Vanderesh. Now, the other linebacker there, Damone Clark, is a guy that we've talked about a lot, that he's kind of finding his footing a little bit. Um, I, I, I didn't have a huge impression of him based off of how he had played against New York, at least just watching it uh, on the first time. I, I mean, there was, there was one play early in the game where they were trying to give like a swing pass out to Saquon Barkley. I think, I think it was like second, third play of the game. And he, he did an impressive job. I think you saw the speed getting over the sideline to cut him off. Uh, but overall, did you you feel okay about how Damone Clark played? Uh, better early in this game, like you were talking about, than late. Uh, there were some times where you, you do, you're right, you see the speed, uh, you see the ability to track the ball, to get to the ball. Uh, very, I, I, When you watch him play, kind of felt like, oh, this might be one of his games that you know he gets going and really and, and shows up. But as the game wore on, there was some hesitation there. There was some... Uh, a little bit of not too sure. And I don't know if it's because of the short week for him again or having to play all these snaps, but he was a much better player in the first half of that game than he was the second half. I wouldn't say he was a bust in the second half, but there were times where you didn't see him uh, get to the ball like he had before. And there were times where you saw him get caught up in some trash that, that, that limited his opportunity uh, to get to the football. The Giants had a really uh, big run uh, late in the, late in the game. I'm, like, I'm going to say third quarter, early fourth, where the ball spilled. It was like an outside run, and Van Der Esch tried to fill the best he could. You needed, uh, needed Clark to come from the backside and kind of fill. He never made it to the hole, and then it, it resulted in a big run and a big game for the Giants. So uh, it, it was good early. Uh, and not not the best finish that we could have seen from him. What is uh, what What would you say is the the biggest challenge facing Damone Clark right now? Is it just being a young player and still learning? You know how you know how he fits into this defense and learning you know different concepts and things like that within Dan Quinn's defense, or do you think it's just 
you know, getting his feet back under him, getting, you know, live reps again. What would you say is the biggest challenge facing him as he's, you know, trying to progress to being a reliable starter? I think it's the reps, Bobby. I think it's the opportunity, you know, and I was I was talking to some people over in the organization about him and and Cox. And, you know, Cox is, you know, they feel like Cox for the opportunities he's had, he's done okay. Uh, he made a mistake, uh, you know, the previous week in a game and they kind of, you know, made him kind of think a little bit about him differently. But, you know, they're really encouraged by what they have with these two young LSU linebackers. Uh, Clark obviously get more opportunity to play defense. But uh, the thing that might be holding him back is, you know, more time on task, more reps. And it'll be interesting to see how they play this with uh, when, uh, you know, they get Anthony Barr back. Well, Anthony Barr, you know, Anthony Barr is not your future. Anthony Barr is a good player. But, man, to me, I I think I would ride uh, Clark here. But coaches tend to go with what they know, and they know Clark's a veteran player, and they're going to have to win with him playing. I feel like with Barr, uh, you know, there are times where when he when he's at his best, he's, he's a better player right now than Damone Clark. Yeah. I, I feel like my issue right now is – it's way too inconsistent, especially for a veteran. Like, like, like I know coaches definitely are going to, you know, have deference to veterans a lot of times, but I also feel like coaches have deference to consistency and not necessarily that Damone Clark's been the most consistent player when he's been out here, but man, I feel like I, I, I've got a, a better understanding of what to expect from Damone Clark on a snap to snap basis right now than Anthony Barr. There are times where he looks really good. And then other times where he looks like he's close to retirement. Yeah, that's uh, I, I call it a 50, 50 player. And but you know you're getting some of that from Clark right now. Fifty percent mm-hmm. good, fifty percent. You know maybe he needs to to learn a little bit more. I, I I would keep him out there. I don't think he's killing you right now, but maybe it's opportunity where him and Barr can split a little bit more time and uh, and and he can learn and, and not fall behind in any way. Coming out of this game, uh, let's talk about the passing game a little bit. Did you feel better, worse, or about the same? on Dak Prescott's performance once you got a chance to watch the tape? I felt like uh, I felt better. I I, I want to say this about, about that the interceptions are tough. You know, uh, he felt like that when you watch the tape, Thibodeau was clearly in the neutral zone. The official to that side, the Cowboys sideline, did not call uh, lining up in the neutral zone or a neutral zone infraction. Uh, Dak thought he had a free play. Uh, Biotis snapped the ball thinking he had a free play. Dak throws the ball to the sidelines. The effort by Gallup was not great on the play. It's kind of like, well, you know, it's a free play anyway. Well, it really wasn't a free play. The the second interception he threw, I see why he did it. They're in a cover two look. Safety's on the hash, and the safety split. The safety split and then kind of widened. So I see why he's trying to throw the ball inside. Holmes made a great play knocking it in the air. Ball wasn't in a good spot. The problem on the play, though, Bobby, was Tyler Smith had been driven back into his lap. And here's Dak Prescott coming off an injury where he throws a pass against Tampa. It gets hit on a helmet, and now he's out for several weeks. I could see the same thing. you know. And I'm not defending Dak here. I'm just telling you what the All-22, he couldn't step into his throw. And I don't blame him for not stepping into the throw especially with Tyler Smith in his lap. You know, he's thinking like, here I am, I'm going to throw this ball. 
I'm going to have to extend, and it's going to hit a helmet, a shoulder pad, a face mask. It's going to hit something. So the ball probably wasn't in the best spot it could have been. Uh, Holmes made a nice play. It's intercepted. But I think overall, when you look at the passing game, I thought that the protection overall was pretty good. We mentioned about Tyler Smith and some of the problems. The Giants brought a lot of blitzes this game. They had to pick up a lot of that. So I think the Cowboys did a pretty decent job with that and how they handled those particular plays. Uh, I, I, I feel like, though, that Dak was trying to do his best to get him in and out of some plays. Again, maybe the short week, lack of practice. Maybe it's like, Dak, here's the game plan. Uh, you know, run pass options and stuff. You know, check with me's at the line. Dak talking about dummy calls and stuff like that. I think Dak was really trying to get him in the best play possible, but I thought it was a, good, a really good game from Lamb, and I liked what they were able to get done with Gallup in that game. Gallup's starting to extend for more footballs than he has the first uh, first several weeks of the season. When you watch Dak on tape, you know, we've talked about this before that it felt like, at least to me, uh, I don't I don't want to speak for you or anybody else, but it felt like to me that after the calf strain, he had a little bit of injury PTSD, where I think he 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 had concern about his own durability. And I think that he he you saw that in the way that he played in the second half of the season. I think that explains some of his hesitancy once the offensive line wasn't blocking as well for him. So far this season, just my own opinion, I'm, I'm curious if you see it the same way. I think he's playing fearless again. Like, I, I think he's moved past those sorts of concerns that that it seemed like we saw in the second half of last year. I think he trusts his body again, and and, and he trusts his ability to get hit. Yeah, I, I think you're clearly on to something because there was a time in this game where, you know, they ran, uh, they ran the option play, and I thought he did a really nice job of setting it up. I thought he did a really nice job. I want to say this was in the uh, the second half and the drive that the opening drive in the second half. If I could get my notes here right, where he scrambled away, he avoids a sack. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's the second play is starting the third quarter. They run Zeke for one, and so it's a second and nine. He avoids a sack. I mean, again, Thibodeau beats uh, Tyler Smith, and now it's. Okay, here we go. Dak, you know, he could have very well been sacked. That could have been like minus six right there. And then the next thing you know, you know, you're looking at a situation where it's, you know, third and 16 or third and 15 or whatever. But he beats the he beats the Thibodeau pressure, runs through escape, and then gets six yards on the play. Well, then the very next play, they hand the ball to Zeke. He bounces it to the outside. And who's blocking for him? Dak. You know, it's that play that bounce. He hands it to him. Zeke bounces yep. it to his left. And now it's a huge game. So, you know, they go from a potential disaster first drive coming out of the second half to, all right, now we're going to maintain the football and we're going to keep these things going. Any other uh, here as we just wrap this up before we go to the, the mailbag, anything else that really stood out to you or anything you really want to highlight based off of the tape that you saw? Yeah, they need to figure out a way to put Malik Hooker more to the side of Anthony Brown. And I think teams are going to continue to try and attack Anthony Brown down the field. Slayton should have had two catches that were huge against Anthony Brown. He missed the first one, caught the second one. 
Me personally, I think you need to think about putting a safety. If Hooker's going to play in the middle of the field, maybe shade him to the side of Anthony Brown so he can get over there quicker. I know I tweeted out in the game that I thought that Hooker was late. He wasn't late. It was a good throw. It was a good route. Anthony Brown just misplayed the ball in the air. And so, but, you know, if you shade Hooker to his side, maybe he could have a little bit better run to try and help him on some of those balls going down the field. You are listening to the Love of the Star podcast. The Love of the Star is an Odyssey podcast. You can find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Hi, Brian. Uh, Quick timeout from the mailbag. I got to jump in really quickly and remind everybody here about our wonderful partner at Love the Star. It is Boomer Jacks. I keep telling you guys, if you are fans of wings, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, those are the days that you need to go to Boomer Jacks. Tuesdays, it's half-price bone-in wings. Wednesdays are half-price boneless wings. But they've got deals for you every other day of the week. They got drink specials starting at $3, $15 buckets of beer, and it is the coldest beer you're going to find in the Metroplex or anywhere else. Wall-to-wall TVs, and I don't i don't say that as some sort of exaggeration, like, oh, wall-to-wall TVs. That's not a simile. It literally is TVs that basically cover every space of the walls at Boomer Jacks. There's also live music, great TVs that you can catch any game, any sport that you're looking for uh, there at Boomer Jacks. Uh, there's 17 DFW locations, so you can find yours by going to boomerjacks.com. That's boomerjacks.com. All right, Brian, uh, we're going to do sort of an extended mailbag today, a, a jumbo mailbag where, uh, you know, normally we do these where – uh, in the final segment, we get to all your questions, but we got plenty of them this week. So I, I figured that we could uh, cram them into two segments here and uh, just go over some of the things that you guys want to touch on, especially with the long layover, about a 10-day rest period for the Cowboys heading into this game with the Colts. Uh, so let's run through some of these questions, Brian. First one here uh, from Ryan Trammell. He's asking, is there much chance this team becomes more consistent in December and into the postseason? And if so, how can they do it? Thanks for the best Cowboys podcast around. You guys are appointment listening. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, This has been a problem in the past for some uh, Cowboys teams is that when they get into December, they do tend to backslide. Like, I mean, just different teams. Uh, This was an issue last year for this Cowboys team. Uh, it was an issue in 2007. I know I'm going way back here, but 2007, it was the same sort of thing. You remember the old Romo can't win in December line that used to be pushed all the time. So this is something that they've struggled with before. Uh, but I think Ryan's question is more, hey, we know this is a good football team. Are there areas where they can continue to get better? Um, not just areas where they're deficient, but areas where we see the potential for growth. And I got to say, if Damone Clark can play more consistently – and, and can kind of put that together. I think it, it is completely reasonable for you to get better in run defense. If they continue to give Sam Williams more work, where I think he's been a pretty good run defender so far, better than any of your veterans, Dorrance Armstrong, Terrell Basham, Dante Fowler, I think Sam Williams has been better against the run than those guys, then I think it's possible for this team to get better against the run. If they can do that and continue some of the success they're having in, in the passing game without some of these 
honestly, fluky interceptions or, or just miscommunication interceptions. I think those are two areas, protecting the ball in the passing game and, and improving in the run that I think it's, it's very possible for the Cowboys to improve over the last month of the season. I think they would be better at wide receiver, and I do like what they're doing at wide receiver if they add Odell Beckham. I think that you add a, a legitimate playmaker on those third down plays, the guy that will cross the middle, the guy that will make the tough catch, the bad ball player, I think you would get better. I think Lamb is showing up really, really nicely for you. I think Gallup is starting to feel it a little bit too. You add Beckham to this group now, especially on those third and fours, third and fives, maybe the loose play, throw him the ball in the middle of the field, have him run after catch. I, I Down in the red zone, he, he's that kind of a weapon. You can throw the ball to him down the field. He'll make plays. I think adding Beckham would help. And I think, honestly, adding Tyron Smith to this offensive line will make it better. I do. And I'm I'm not re- worried about the rookie wall with Tyler Smith. I think it was a short week. I think he kind of – he didn't benefit from that at all. I think you saw a little bit of what we've talked about, three games in 12 days maybe, a little wear and tear. I know he's a young guy. But adding Tyron Smith at some point in time, moving Tyler Smith to guard, I think will make this offensive line even better. And so those are the kinds of the improvements – I will say this. I don't think they're going to get better on penalties. I'm sorry. I just no. don't. I don't. I mean, it's something they talk about. It's something that they preach. It's something that Mike McCarthy has got up on the podium and gotten mad about. He's blamed officials. But pre-snap penalties are not a problem the officials. Pre-snap penalties are lining up, snapping the ball, you know, holding, holding your water, as they would say in the past, and not jump off sides. So – you know, if you get 13 penalties and four or five of them are pre-snap penalties, and we talk about that, talk about that, talk about it, they talk about it, and they talk about it, these penalties are not going to be any better. This might be the one thing that is the downfall for this football team because one day you're going to look up, and it happened in this game, and I, I hope it doesn't happen again, but it probably will. You rush the passer, you get an interception, you're bringing the ball back, and you get a defensive holding or a legal contact penalty on the play. I can't tell you how many times on third down when we're at the game, you, we're all sitting there watching it, and it's third down, and it's it, it looks like an incomplete, and I'm looking for a flag because it's mm-hmm. happened every time, whether it's a slot player, a player on the other side. It could be hands to the face. It could be roughing the passer. You know, you have to have discipline to get off the field on third down, and the Cowboys got killed the other day. They lost the turnover battle 2-0. They won the game, but they should have had an interception. They should have had an interception, but Diggs was holding. I mean, you watch the play on the All-22. He's basically holding the receiver eight yards down the field. He's carrying the – and he's you know basically tackling the guy. He can't have that. But no. I just don't see the penalties getting any better. I think adding Smith and potentially adding Beckham would make this team a lot better but I don't think they're going to get better on the penalties. My question for you uh, on Tyron Smith, we saw he, he struggled a great deal against San Francisco last year in the playoff game. It was one of the worst games we've ever seen him play. Uh, he, he struggled into the early part of training camp. He was getting beat in ways during practices that we're not used to seeing him get beat. Uh, how, how long is the leash or is there even a leash on Tyron Smith's play, do you think? I, I just let it go. You know, I'm going to – this guy's a Hall of Fame player. Uh, you know, yeah, you've seen some slippage, no question. 
But what I saw last week with Tyler Smith playing, I, I'm I'm willing to take a chance. I'm willing to take a chance. And you know, if if it if it means if it means maybe going back with Tyler Smith at tackle and then going back with McGovern at, at guard. I think you can make that move. If you want to leave, if you want to put Peters out there at left tackle, if if it if the slippage is so bad that it it causes your offense problems, then you need to make that consideration. I'm willing to to gamble that for this last month of the season, uh, you know, and into a little bit into January, that that Tyron Smith can help you and and get ready and, and be an effective player. Let's say uh, he plays. He comes back. First week, let's say he comes back for the Jacksonville game. He comes back for the Jacksonville game. He plays like he did against San Francisco. How many of those games in a row would you have to see before you'd say, I need to go back to what we were doing? Well, would that be, if you saw him play like he did against San Francisco last year, would it take one week of that? Would it take, would you say, ah, that's some rust. Let's see him come back. Would it take two to three weeks? Or would you just ride this well, out regardless of how he plays? I, I tell you this, though, as well as Tyler Smith has played, I, I'm riding this thing to the Philadelphia game. You know, I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna say, you know what? We're gonna, you know, hopefully you get it back. Hopefully you get it back for Houston. May, I mean, I know that they're gonna start the clock after Jacksonville week. You know, maybe you're to the point where you're like, okay, let's see if we can get this guy ready. It's not like he, it's not like he didn't go through training camp. He did go through a training camp. You yeah. know, he got he got hurt when they were back at the star. That's when he yeah. got hurt. So he basically had went through the whole training camp, you know. And so uh, having him ready, I think he'll get ready pretty quickly. I think Britt Brown has always uh, worked really well with these guys, getting them back. So if you get me back for Houston, Jacksonville, Philly, say he has three bad games in a row, then it, that that would be something I think you would have to look at. But my bet is that he's going to play well for you in those three games. Oh, I, I agree. I, I'm just, I was just trying. I'm trying to figure out. No, I, I understand. The threshold. Yeah, yeah, the threshold would be the threshold would be if you got the Philadelphia game and it just it was broken down and bad and couldn't move and all that, and you're still having problems. I, I think you should go back the other way. Next question here from Matt Holleran. What would you say is the biggest difference between this year's Cowboys team and last year's? And do you think this year's team is built better for a deep postseason run? I'll tell you, I, I've said this. Uh, I think I said it today on G Bag Nation with you guys. Uh, the biggest difference between with this team is they are they are a tougher, more physical football team. That was their problem last year. If, if teams punched them in the mouth, they lost. If, if teams got physical with them, they couldn't play physical football. And that's that's what a lot of January football is about. Is about physical football. And so for me. I, I think the biggest difference with them is they're not the, the most tough blue collar football team in the league, but they're no longer just a straight finesse team that, that, that can't play when the game gets physical and tough. Uh, they've won a couple tough physical football games this year that I think they lose last year. Um, and so to me, that's the biggest difference with the team. I don't know about you, Brian. Yeah, no, I think they got a healthy quarterback now. That's the biggest difference. I mean, last year he was coming off, you know, the calf and then also, you know, at the latter part, I you know how completely healthy, how completely confident was he? You know, I, I think the fact that the, you know, that the, the ability for him to put up points for him to make quality throws, you know, if that could just eliminate the uh, those interceptions, the turnovers, you know, man, he would be riding this thing pretty strong. But I, I kind of feel like that the difference is you have a quarterback that's more confident 
He's more healthy. I think you've got a defense that really, really believes in what Dan Quinn is selling. Last year, I think they were kind of going through it. They were they were getting a ton of turnovers. They weren't sacking anybody. But now it's like the pressure, the sacks, you know, the turnovers will come, I think. And this, you know, you're gonna start playing some teams here that will can turn over the ball. Matt Ryan can turn over the ball. You look at what's going on. Davis Mills can turn over the ball. You look at, you know, even though the guy in Jacksonville, uh, I think uh, Lawrence is playing better. He had a nice win yesterday you know, uh, at home. Still will turn over the ball. He'll fumble the ball. So they might get back into playing these quarterbacks that will turn over the ball. But that's that's the, the, the thing that I really believe is your quarterback's feeling healthier. He's feeling more confident. And then there's confidence in your defense because of, you now have a plan of how you want to play Micah Parsons and kind of use him in a lot of different ways. Question here from uh, one of our loyal listeners, Dean Julia. He says, how important has 13 personnel been for this offense? And are you surprised at how much Ferguson and Hendershot have contributed thus far? Uh, 13 personnel, again, that's uh, one running back, three tight ends. If you look at the play data, the the formation data and everything else, the personnel groupings that the Cowboys have run out this year, by far the most efficient group they've run out there has been 13 personnel um they they're averaging i i believe coming into the last week and I, I can't imagine it got any worse last week they they had a lot of success even in 13 last week um but coming into the the game on thanksgiving i believe 13 personnel was their most efficient package by about a yard and a half per play when they're in it and so that's a that's a ton in the grand scheme of things in the nfl and so yeah it's it's been a, a huge success. A, a lot of credit to Lunda Wells, the tight end coach, um, and, and and you know the scouting department, the guys that uh, helped identify guys like uh, you know Peyton Hendershot out of Indiana, Jake Ferguson out of Wisconsin, um, and, and and you know obviously the work that Dalton Schultz has done, and then you can see just how much more effective Dalton Schultz is when Dak Prescott's in there because it, it just it wasn't the connection's not there the same way with Cooper Rush. As soon as Dak gets back in. He's much more effective, but absolutely 13 personnel, huge part of this team's success. And, and they have a lot of, uh, you know, efficiency and, and a lot of success running out of that personnel grouping. I think you nailed it, man. I think you completely nailed everything you said. I absolutely agree with. Yeah, see, look at, look at that. Why, why, why are you even here, Brian? I, I, I got us handled. You know what I mean? Uh, next question here uh, from Terrence Bailey is there a realistic option that Zeke restructures and we sign Pollard to a somewhat team-friendly deal, trying to see if there is any scenario where we keep them both? Love the show, fellas. Thank you, Terrence. Uh, Zeke, for me, I don't know about for you, Brian, and, and I assume the answer is different for the Cowboys than for me. For me, Zeke's going to have to play for about a fifth of what he's on right now. He'll have to play for like $3 million. I, I, I don't want to bring him back at $6 million annually or anything else like that. Uh, I just I, I don't think that that's a, a valuable use of your resources. And even if you bring him back at that lower number, there's no guarantee that you won't get priced out of the Tony Pollard market. There's probably a lot of people who are really intrigued about the type of player that he can be. Uh, but, Brian, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, again, I, I kind of like what you're saying there. I think they have a plan for what they want to do with Zeke. I think they've been very nice to Zeke, and I think it's about time for Zeke to say, okay, you were fair for me. But Zeke could also say, listen, a lot of wear and tear on this body. I tried to play with a banged-up knee. You know, I tried to do this. I tried to do that. You know, Zeke has always tried to line up every single week. And to his credit, I think that's why people in the front office and the coaches really, really like him. Uh, but you're right. I think that they need to evaluate where they're at. You know, they've got some players coming up that they need to get uh, redone. 
And, you know, if they could work his salary, much like they did uh, with DeMarcus Lawrence's salary, uh, you know, make it uh, make it more of a team-friendly type of a thing. I, I don't know about re-signing Tony Pollard. I, I don't know how that's all going to work out. Uh, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's a shame that we've all kind of figured out in his last year that Tony Pollard's like a really, really good player, or they use him like a really, really good player. You know, how many years have we seen Tony Pollard? And hell, I got in trouble with Jerry Jones on 105.3 The Fan. I asked him, do you feel like you wasted Tony Pollard's career? And he goes, waste is a pretty strong word there, Brian. You know, but <laughs> I, you know, I, you kind of, it, this is, you know, I, I don't know how many games I don't know how many games that that Tony Pollard has had more carries than Zeke, but it happened last week. But what happened? Less carries for Zeke by two ended up to be more yards. Zeke had a, a hell of a game. They need both these guys, but I, I don't know. I don't. I mean, let's you know the they've they've done a good job with the evaluations, you know, of these uh, of these running backs, and so it might be you know, hey. If Zeke doesn't sign, you let him go. If they don't have Tony, you let him go, and then you try and just reevaluate and draft and 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 go from there. Malik Davis, sure. Malik Davis has shown he can carry the football and be yeah. effective. You know, and he catches the football well. So all of a sudden, if it's neither guys here, then your situation, Malik Davis, and draft another one this NFL draft, uh, which I will start on Thursday. Start working Let's on Thursday. start working on Thursday. Uh, I, I I understand there's a lot of running backs in this draft. There are, yeah. You know, hey, maybe you know what's, uh, and I'll just say it now it's going to be absolutely criminal that because of the way running backs are valued, uh, Bijan Robinson, who's a top ten talent, is undoubtedly going to end up with a playoff team. That's yeah. not fair at all, but that's just the way things operate because of how running backs are valued now. You are listening to the Love of the Star podcast. The Love of the Star is an Odyssey podcast. You can find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Brian, before we jump into our extended listener mailbag, I got to give a big thank you to your friends, my friends, our friends here at Love of the Star, our wonderful partner, Boomer Jacks. You know, I was at Boomer Jacks on Sunday evening, uh, catching a few games. It was a, a great night. Uh, we have I had the family with me, my wife, my two girls. Uh, and, and man, the girls were in love with the table side s'mores setup that you can buy. You can literally get s'mores at Boomer Jacks to make there at your table. Uh, but the wife had the wings, and I've been telling you guys about these wings and how great they are, and they got a deal for you. Tuesdays, it's half-price bone-in wings. Wednesdays are half-price boneless wings. So whichever one you prefer, go to Boomer Jacks on those days, and they'll have you set up. But they got deals for you every other night of the week as well, including $3 drink specials, $15 buckets of beer, and it is the coldest beer you're going to find in the Metroplex or anywhere else. Wall-to-wall TVs, live music, just a wonderful atmosphere. Find your Boomer Jacks, one of 17 DFW locations, by heading to boomerjacks.com. That is boomerjacks.com. All right, Brian, let's continue the uh, mailbag here, finish it up with this last segment. Uh, next question here from at RDBull1. He says, Micah played much more off-ball linebacker during the Packers game. Do you think Quinn decided that was a failed experiment, or will we see more games in the future that he tries to line him up off the line more often? Man, I think there's no greater contrast in terms of how Michael Parsons can get taken out of a game versus how Michael Parsons can affect a game than when you see him play linebacker primarily against Green Bay and the very next week rush the passer more frequently against Minnesota. Um, and and they they came back and and were clearly willing to say, hey, we need Micah to affect the game this way, put Damone Clark in there after playing 
like seven snaps against Green Bay, Minnesota, and the Giants. He's playing a lot more. Um, so, yeah, I think that I, I think that was a, an experience for them, those back-to-back weeks that I, I don't think they want to be put in a position again where he's playing almost exclusively at linebacker and not rushing the passer at all. I think they realize that's not an effective way to deploy Micah Parsons. No, and that's why Damone Clark's been playing, because they don't want to play. You know, they were trying to figure out how to play around uh, not having Anthony Barr on the field. And so I, I have a feeling that if you played the Vikings again, I think the Vikings would try and run the football. I don't think that they, their game plan was very cavalier. You know, but they've got really they've got good receivers. They've got a really good tight end. They probably felt like they could hold up better pass protection. But I think if the Cowboys and the Vikings were to play again, say in the playoffs, I think it would be a much different game plan for the Vikings. And, you know, we will see. We'll see if, if that's the case. But I think the, the the reason with Barr potentially being back and Damone Clark playing better or being more involved, that you're going to see Micah Parsons play more as a rush uh, linebacker himself. Next question here from BG. He says, is it just me or does it appear that the corners give a lot of free releases off the line when in man coverage? Could this be a reason for the big plays down the field, Brian? Do you, do you see any issues with uh, the, the, the free releases that the corners are, are giving up off the line? Yeah, number seven is not a free release guy. Number three is Brown will free release. And, and Brown plays with a lot more depth than say Diggs does. And, you know, it's one of those things that you like to ask Dan Quinn. Is it just by alignment? Is it by scheme? Are you afraid of, you know, I'll say this about Anthony Brown. He doesn't look as quick as he has in the past. And I don't know if something's physically wrong with him. The catch-up speed, the makeup speed. I, I think there's been some times where he's been okay. But, man, it, it seems like to me tracking the ball, finding the ball, Makeup speed, running with guys. There seems to be a lot more separation going on there. And, uh, but you put seven up, uh, you put Diggs up on his man, he's going to run with that guy and stay in position, whereas Brown struggles with that. So I think the free access you see is because of Brown playing more off than Diggs is. Next question here from Jonathan Lewis. He says, Dak has a top number of yards above expectation which is a uh, it's an advanced metric related to uh, what the expected completion percentage is on a on a pass versus what actually occurred. Uh, and Dak's been way above uh, expectation this year, close to the top of the league in that. Uh, but he says so much of that is due to large volume of tight window throws and lower percentage balls. Should Dallas bring back some of the, quote, easy button throws they manufactured for Cooper Rush? Man, I mean, to me, I... The problem with Dak is, hell, he made some tight window throws. You remember the the RPO that they had in the game where he sprints to the edge, uh, the right edge, and Noah Brown is like kind of as a blocker over there, and Dak yep. just hummed one, and Gallup caught it, and the corner was all over Gallup. You know, I mean, it was a beautifully thrown ball for a sprint going to the right. I mean, Dak, the, the problems in some of these Daks, the interceptions have been some – some tight window throws, uh, or any or guys that have not let him or have let him down on some routes. So I, man, I, I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of in that mode right now where I'm like, I'm I'm not changing Dak. Maybe I'm thinking about some of those option routes and stuff like that and what they're seeing. 
you know, down the middle of the field. It seems like, what, three games now we've had three interceptions going down the middle of the field. So maybe that's a change. But overall, man, I, I still saw, I saw some I saw some guys going to get in the football. I saw Gallup going to get in the football. That's a good thing. I saw Lamb going to get in the football. And I'm telling you what, you add Odell Beckham, you're going to have a third guy that's going to go for that football. So I the easy throws and all that, that's what you got those tight ends for, the boots, the waggles, stuff like that. That's fine. I wish this team would develop a screen game with Pollard. They can't. Yes. They, they, they can't. Zeke, Pollard, the, the Cowboys – have zero screen game. And I'm not talking about throwing the smoke route to the outside and hoping that CD wins or Gallup wins or one of those guys wins out there. I'm talking about a legitimate damn screen game that most NFL teams have. Next question here from uh, Peter Metzger. Uh, When was the last fake field goal attempt and when will the Cowboys try one? You know, I think the last fake field goal attempt was when you worked for the team and Tim Cedar scored a touchdown. Uh, that that may have been the last one that was fake. It, man, you guys had to do everything you could to manufacture offense in those all those early. Oh, Joe, Joe Avizano coming up with some stuff. Yeah, you, uh, you, you, you had to. You had to have Tim Cedar faking field goals. You remember? Uh, I remember you guys had to have Tim McGee lie down on the ground and. Just oh have, yeah, play dead. Yeah, that was, that's yeah. how. You, yeah, you had to play dead to just get open and and complete. But you got you, you guys did Bruce it. Coslett. That was Bruce Coslett. Yeah. <laughs> I I bring this up in part. Uh, because, uh, obviously, you know, I don't know when the last time they're in a fake field goal is I wanted to make a Tim Cedar reference, shout out to Tim Cedar, but also, uh, it is interesting to me. It made me think, have they, do you think they, they, they've reeled in the mad scientist bones false a little bit this year? Cause we have not seen a lot of his, his normal, uh, you know, wacky special teams design. It, it's been very straightforward. I wonder if that was something they said, let's reel that back this year. No, I guarantee you he is going to give you a Christmas gift on a Saturday against Philadelphia. I oh. guarantee it. A nationally televised game. Uh, I guarantee you. I, I guarantee you that it's going to be. Uh, you're going to see him do some kind of fake. You're going to see a throwback. You're going to see some kind of deal going on here. He'll figure something out. He can't help himself. You know, he really can't help himself. But you don't want to fake field goals against the Colts or. Houston or Jacksonville, you don't want to waste it against those teams. You want to save it for the the big moment, the big game. Uh, I will say this: I watched the field goal attempt that uh, that Maher missed. Mm-hmm. As soon as he hit the ball, he knew he missed it. He literally, as soon as he swung his foot and hit it, you could see his reaction that he knew he missed it. It's, it was really, and I was thinking because he kind of just kind of shoved the ball out there to the right. And it didn't come back for him, but it's so weird because I was thinking, okay, bad snap, bad hold, miss hit. It it just is. But as soon as he hit that ball, you could tell in his reaction he knew it was no good. I mean, it didn't even it wasn't even hoping that it was coming back. He just knew it was going to be out there and it wasn't going to move. I, uh, I it's funny uh, that reminds me of of something I, I talked about in in the you know, in the last couple of years where I remember Max Scherzer uh, was, was pitching a game and he delivered the ball. He, he was pitching it. And before I, I want to say it was uh, Stanton for the, the Yankees. Just had, crushed it. And, and he released the ball. And before it was even hit, you heard the mic pick him up screaming an expletive. Yeah. It's like, it's just, and, and it makes me think of that with Maher and, and kickers are experts at that too. Quarterbacks will do it. 
how quickly they can process that they just he made. knew he knew I watched they instantly as soon as the ball left his foot you could see he just put his head down and turned in disgust he knew he had no chance to make that kick uh, this is probably the last question here for us uh, or uh, we probably got time for, for one more for this uh, the question from at Ted Light uh, with wear and tear being a thing how important is it that Dak is five games fresher than most quarterbacks going in December pros cons uh, I, I don't. I, I I think it's good. It, it helps uh, if you're looking for a silver lining. Um, you know, not having to uh, ha- have the same sort of wear down that that other quarterbacks have had. You know, that's that's not a charm for sure. Yeah, yeah, and that's a that's a guy who you've talked about this before. He tends to overwork during the summer. Absolutely does. And and, and so for a guy who who puts in almost too much work at times. Uh, it's, it may not be the worst thing in the world that he was able to get, you know, a lot of September and October off. Yep, I totally agree. No problem with that. See, the thing, though, I do worry about is Mike McCarthy and the trainers and doctors and all that will tell you that Mike is very friendly when it comes to players' health and understanding players' health and trying to keep them fresh, you know, but I don't want them to lose that edge. You know, I don't want them find a way to win these games. Don't lose that edge. I understand rest and recovery and all that. But you know, make sure that this team hasn't lost its edge going into the playoffs. That's that's going to be important. Last question here from DC Lee. Uh, we'll go a little conspiracy theory here, Brian. Uh, you tell me if this matches up with what you've seen on tape. Uh, it appears as though Mike McCarthy has taken over play calling, or at least begun to assert during red zone or situational football in games. Jekyll and Hyde offense. Your thoughts, Brian? You're shaking your head. You're saying no to this one. No, I. I, I will say that Mike has probably clicked over and told Kellen Moore like he did in the Green Bay game on second down. You got two downs to pick this up. So, you know, I I would – that's where I think – I think that Mike has made some suggestions along the way, but I will not say he's taken over the play calling. But I do think there's a lot more conversation about what needs to be done. Uh, you know, maybe that fourth and two – you know, if you're going to do that, maybe it's run, run, and get the first down that they had instead of, you know, take a shot down. They went max protection, by the way, on third and two, trying to hit that ball, and they still got, they still gave up pressure on it, you know, which caused Dak to make a bad throw. But I, I think that to me, the, you know, the fourth down run was not well blocked. You know, I, I, I would say that Hendershot, you know, he went outside and maybe instead of. Maybe they thought block, not blocking Jalen Smith was a good thing, that he would probably miss the play. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't. He made the tackle. Uh, but I, I, I will say that I think Mike has talked to Kellen Moore, but taking over play con, I would have to disagree with that. I would say this. If Mike McCarthy had taken over play calling, I don't think you'd still see them running the option routes. No. I don't, I don't and, know. Uh, that, there are aspects of this that are still very clearly Kellen Moore. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So, All right, that does it for us here on the Love of the Star podcast. We'll be back with you guys two more times this week previewing the Indianapolis Colts. And who knows, maybe we'll we'll get some expedited news on Odell Beckham Jr. We'll be talking to Jerry Jones on uh, 105.3 The Fan. In fact, when you hear this podcast, uh, it's very possible that we've already talked to Jerry on Tuesday morning, but hopefully we'll get some good insight from that that we'll be able to bring to you guys uh, later this week. Bobby, I don't know if you heard this, but he moved it to 7.30. So yes, seven thirty. He is not is yeah. not as normal eight thirty. He's at seven thirty on Tuesday. Uh, yeah. So you central time, seven thirty central time. There, there we go. So uh, keep an ear out for that, and we will talk to you guys again later this week.